Welcome to Arts Monday Symposium on Nice Radio 89.7 FM. This program takes place on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of this land, and I pay my respect to the elders, past, present, and yet to come. My guest on the show today will be performing artist Wei Zhen Ho, and we will be talking about her dance film The Invisibles, currently screening online as part of Dance House Melbourne Dance Lands Festival. Do we have you on the line? Good morning, Ira. How are you? Oh, I can hear you perfectly. That's wonderful. I'm good. How are you? How is Katumba this morning? Oh, Katumba is actually very beautiful. I, we've got hints of spring in the air. Mm. Yeah, so slight bits of um, sunshine coming through. <laughs> beautiful. It's great. I imagine you live quite close to the beautiful bushwalks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. It's three minutes from my house, oh, and there are like um, some 18 to 21 roots immediately. Mm. And is this your part of your daily ritual to go for those walks? I'd love it to be a daily ritual. I haven't quite managed it yet, but I try to be as regular as possible, so a few times a day. Mm. Do you mm. have daily rituals? Is there something specific that you incorporate in your day-to-day Yeah, it's kind of quite a private ritual that I have where any standing space that I have and where I have time aside, I immediately kind of enact it. And it's part of a five-element bodywork that came out of West Java mm. and entered into Australia through the last descendant who's passed away now. It's really convenient because it's upright. All you need is a little square space. And... Um, It just goes through the five elements very quickly, you know, forwards or in reverse within the body. I'm mindful of the kind of screaming element of this vocal work because it's got that kind of um, a martial history, a combative history that's really been turned into a more of a somatic work. So I just use breath. Yes. Yeah. And now you're touching a bit upon where I wanted to start. I invited you to the show to talk about one of your recent projects, which is a short dance video, The Invisibles. But before we delve into that one, I wanted to unpack your overall artistic career a little bit. You started as a classical musician, a pianist and vocalist, and you were part of a band. And then eventually, midway in your career, you transitioned to the body-based practice as a way to, as you mentioned to me, re-investigate and relearn. What inspired this transition and what kind of projects you started with? Yeah, I think maybe I felt a little bit narrowed within the kind of music album construction. And I didn't know how to find a way out. And 
I had also been greatly influenced by my last tour in terms of the music work into Indonesia. And I found that that culture really embraced very naturally and organically without, you know, self-judgment or taking on judgment from any other outsider, just incorporating multiple disciplines of your senses and body, which I guess is the origins of theatre. And a lot of them have a kind of somatic practice or a discipline that often hints of the martial, the combative history. Even if they're dancers, they always have this element of an energetic work. Mm -hmm. And I, I found that like a homecoming. And it made me then just stop what I was doing to reassess what it is I actually would like for myself and what actually keeps me interested and how it actually develops myself and what that actually means, you know, and it meant having a really big gap. And I I found that in a lot of the music concert hall or music band presentations, I was really interested in how bodies were placed in space and how that changes the dynamics. And I often wondered why musicians place themselves the way they did Mm -hmm. when they didn't have to. And I think also entering back into my home region of Southeast Asia, I became a little bit more aware about how public rituals of quite dramatic effect were always very clearly in the public and it made me think historically about this thing of when was this term performance born Mm. so it was a combination of things that then led me to look at the body in itself and the spatial relationship that it had and Mm. how it affected a so-called performance Mm. yeah your practice has then, from that point, been in live performances and installations. And today we will be talking about a video or a short film work that you made. And in a way, this film, which is called The Invisibles, was made, it was made only last year. And in a way, it was a result of COVID. And the reason I'm saying that is because it was made through the Australian Council for the Arts Resilience Grant and also Create New South Wales Arts Rescue and Restart Funding. I was wondering whether COVID encouraged you to move or is it still encouraging you to move more into a video making works because obviously the live performances are suffering at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And and also it's about the opportunities, you know, because I think when we work on the fringes, opportunities are few and rare. And um, Carlos Gomez, as a Brazilian-born director who lives in Australia now, owns Theatre Cantanka, and he actually proposed this proposal and got the funding to have a few individual artists to kind of realise a performance concept into actually initially virtual reality film. Mm -hmm. And I guess this concept film has then been converted into a POV film for Dance House and Dance Lens Festival. In the film itself, we see a female figure weaving through ancient rock and bushlet settings. And the long hair, which has uh, tints of red color, is covering her face. So her identity or personhood is never revealed. Could you talk to me about the significance of this? Why was this sense of anonymity important for you? I guess having 
facial features that are very distinct can sometimes take away from what I feel I would like to convey. So there are two folds. It's this kind of question about how um, the face is often very postured as a frontline in performance work. And I guess sometimes when that's hidden, it allows a more open-ended reading mm. of a work. You know, you get multiple ways and perspectives mm. into what the work's trying to do. And I guess part of this thing about anonymity as well is, you know, using this kind of film process and performance process to reveal almost the notions and possibility of a spirit entity, the personality of it, and, and allow that to kind of evolve as a result of that process. And I guess there is this thing of how the piece is about finding ways where the features of this energy or this spirit entity is about to come into a being. Mm. And the hair also functions as a sensory organ, almost like uh, feet or shoes, you said. And through it, the figure seeks and searches through the landscape. And also, because of this hair, your vision was impaired as you perform. So you had to move with greater delicacy, I assume. Could you tell me a bit how this informed the way you moved, the way you felt in your body as you moved? I guess... I'm always kind of really curious about building a movement vocabulary around this area of uncertainty. Mm. And sometimes to create, we put structures that takes us out of our comfort zone. Mm. And I guess one of the clear concept image for me when I was sketching this figure was that I really felt as if the hair even though it's got all these layers of being able to create the anonymity and this thing about trying to form something visible out of perhaps something that's really formless, an energetic thing that doesn't have form, and you're, you're trying to reveal the form and personality of this thing. Mm. I assume that uh, moving in this way would make you a bit more vulnerable because you're moving with less security. And then um, we had a brief uh, chat yesterday to prepare for this show for me to understand your process a bit better. And you were saying that you were exploring through the film this potential of social transformation that happens when body is not moving in a way it is meant to. Yeah, and I've kind of lost and can't quite remember what we talked about. <laughs> but I guess maybe it's a really good point for me to come in and talk about how I entered and try to move in this whole landscape of body as a key motif. And I guess as an older body, because I kind of switched disciplines and embraced and wanted to learn more about how to use the body in performance devising, I, I kind of really wanted to do it through contemplation of mortality. Mm. You know, this finiteness of, of life that we have. And it's ongoing, I'm still not quite sure, but it's it's a process. Mm. And I feel as if this fragility is what I'm always kind of reaching out for. Mm. And I I think when, when we create, like in this case, like using the, 
the hair to and knowing that it obscures my movement, having to navigate this construction of uncertainty and difficulty can push our being and our senses kind of really expand to move in a way that we do not normally move. Mm. So it's it's a kind of physical problem solving even as we you know, unfold the movements. And I guess because I do use quite a lot of improvisatory experience, it helps to move and depart from a clear concept image and allow things to unfold. So it becomes more of a phenomenon. Mm. Mm. And uh, now I'm not quite sure whether it answered your question. It did. It, it answered quite beautifully. Yeah. And you also touched on uh, the fact that you improvise and it's not uh, choreographed in any way. And there were not even rehearsals as far as I understood. But you did work with this concept image, uh, as you mentioned, that you sketched of this figure. And this served as a key physical motif that was feeding and informing the way you performed on the day of the shoot. And this image-based practice is reminiscent of a dance technique called the body vetter, which uh, you are practicing with that's the Quincy, I believe. Could you talk a bit about what is body vetter and how did you get into that and why this particular technique is of interest to you? Yeah, so I guess body weather is an influence philosophically, and I have been involved with Tess and her collective, um, Victoria Hunt, Linda Luke primarily, and have quite a number of years of conversations and talks. And even though I'm not a main practitioner within body weather, like I've only kind of really entered into it through its improvisatory practice called Impro Exchange, I have found their philosophies in approaching the body very poetic and it really resonates with me. That whole idea of how you can recreate sometimes what feels like impossible movements just by looking at what your visual image of this whatever that you're building is 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 really influential and very very important in how i create um, entities Mm. and how i perform and it also asks you to investigate the relationship to the landscape that you're trying to traverse whether imaginatively or how you can turn a real environment into an imaginative landscape and that relationship between them. And I feel like it also touches on this thing that I've always tried to capture within myself, like how do I build and develop and keep investigating a spirit corporeal practice, Mm. which also involves the voice. Mm Therefore, for me, this thing of how it ties to body memory is really important. Yeah, so body weather is really influential in terms of its thinking and its philosophy. But as a physical practitioner, I wouldn't say that I am a core practitioner of their classes and their principles. It's only through their impro exchange practices Mm. and um, events that I've been more involved in. And Tess had kindly invited me to the Callan Park project as well, which was a really beautiful site performance experience for me. And I guess I did ask if Tess could be my first dramaturg when I was trying to develop this project in, in 2009 called The Borrowed Language. 
which mm-hmm. was a residency and a kind of showing that was offered by um, Kasula Powerhouse. So that's kind of like the beginnings of my relationship with Tess. And and because my partner, Alan Schacher, has also a history with body weather, as he had trained with Mintanaka in Japan and, and lived in the farm and worked. So I guess having those two figures in my life you know, has been very, very influential. You're on Isid Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Sympoesis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. And I'm on call to a performer, Weizen Ho, and we are talking about her practice in general, but also in specific today about one of her most recent projects, which is a short dance film, The Invisibles. It is currently screening as part of the Dance Lens Festival organized by Dance House in Melbourne. And you can view it online from now until 29th of August if you go to dancehouse.com.au. Weizen, to continue talking about the film, uh, you mentioned that one of the interests of body weather is relationship to landscape. And this particular film you shot in Blue Mountains in the area that is actually very close to your own house. And the film was shot in one go, in one day. And you shot it with the VR camera. As you mentioned, the film was going to be a virtual reality experience. And shooting in this way meant that you were not directed in any way. Could you talk to us a bit about why that is and how it actually works when one shoots with VR camera? So I, it had two sessions. One was a green screen session that Blacktown Art Centre kindly offered us. And then I offered and talked to the team, Sam James as a filmmaker and Carlos Gomez as the director, to actually do it in the bush landscape in in some of the walks that I had here. So it was a two-day session. And I guess with the way VR camera works is that apart from the performer, everyone else really has to stand out of the way, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like a long way. Otherwise, it captures. It has such a visual throw. So what they would do is, um, you know, because it was rocky and it had a lot of edges and crevices, Carlos and Sam had to leave the camera in a spot that was stable, and then they had to hide in some big rock behind Mm -hmm. (laughs) while I went ahead with what I was doing. So it was really fortunate that I could improvise in that situation. Yes. Yeah, and I guess, you know, those kind of um, improvisatory processes really highlights and perhaps that's why the aesthetic of what I do does have this sense of awkwardness and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. It builds into it as a result of that method. Mm. Why is the uncertainty and working with that of interest to you? What is gained through working in that way? That's a very good question. Perhaps it is tied to this thing about fragility and how I feel is probably a truer reflection of our human nature and life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's tremendous as a human society that we have built a life out of belief systems. Imaginative power is so great, but human societies and how it's organized has kind of made our everyday living out of concepts. 
And we've managed to kind of galvanize movements globally through a belief in this concept. And I guess problematizing this observation is something that's important to me. It begs the question of, you know, what is it to be human? Mm -hmm. And how is it that we're actually living? And hopefully to offer us more choices when we don't feel as if we have a choice in how we want to live. Yes. And I, and I guess like um, because performance and industry is also related, it's always this question, you know, when was performance born? Why do we perform and why are we hanging on to vocabularies that are dominant, mm. that we see out there? And are there other ways of interpreting and making and why isn't that being made visible? Mm. In your film, beside seeing these scenes shot in the open nature, in the open air, there are also sequences that are animated and they are adding the sense of magic, magic realm. It seems almost like a dream state. How did these animated sequences contrast the rest of the film, which, as I said, was shot in the outdoor environment? I guess because film, as opposed to live performance, allows such a um, capacity for magic to enter, you know. Animation really does have that capacity to juxtapose what is real with the imaginative simultaneously and I guess um, I feel as if that's really expansive and it's also something that Carlos and Sam have been into. Sam does do animation and Carlos has been investigating and dealing with upskilling himself in 3D and I guess why not you know I remember doing this kind of zoom meeting with all three of us and looking at the entire takes of this film that we, we made and then picking out scenes and wondering whether some of these images could work and be displaced. You know, so I think the realness grounds the image and then there's a disorientation mm -hmm. somehow. And uh, we were looking at that as a way of, again, expanding the narrative possibilities of the film. Since you're mentioning disorientation, another effect that covering of your face with a hair head is that it allowed you to go a bit more internal. It um, also worked as a mask, which uh, are often used in South Asian theatre uh, practices such as Japanese no theatre or even in Bhutto dance where the face is painted in white. So again, the sense of anonymity is achieved by the person who discovered in your practice, you're inspired by trans rituals of Southeast Asia. How do they inform your work? I guess looking at how rituals, public rituals in a way, are sometimes so much more performative than what I see in theatre. And it has the sense of how the ordinary just erupts into something quite extraordinary sometimes in moments that are very unexpected and that I think that those dynamics really affect me and influences how I then devise I guess this obscuring there are huge histories in mass work across Southeast Asia and how the spirit 
of each mask work that you enter into, or even the costuming. I, I'll just say mask as an example that is included in this sense of um, accoutrement in rituals. And sometimes it can be one object that can transform an entire situation. So I guess in this case, because the anonymity was really important for me in how I, you know, how I dreamt up of this image, then yes, you know, the the hair as a way of masking kind of really allows a deeper kind of raw internalization, mm. which I find has the potential to then somehow crack open this a more visceral kind of physical performance. But it's also within that we understand that visceralness can come in the form of stillness. So I guess in in the formation of the movement as it unfolds, I'm always trying to catch moments where I hope I'm aware of how to hold an image for an appropriate amount of time. Mm. <laughs> I know that sounds complex, but it's it's really quite a huge challenge it's the hardest uh, so it is the hardest thing but this is what i'm trying to look for mm. and then, this is what my mm. yeah yeah and how to hold an image or, or can i find my consciousness even as the phenomenon of movement evolves where i'm suddenly aware of this moment where i need to stay with it mm. yeah, yeah. There is a fear, social or cultural fear of being still or being quiet because we are just so conditioned to constantly move and rush and speak. Mm. And so I think it requires a lot of confidence in order to be still or quiet. Or I don't know whether maybe confidence, maybe another way could be that we are able to sit with the fear when it arrives. Yeah. And observe it and accept it, get to know it and, and nurture and yeah. maybe not to overcome it, but to mm. to yeah. be with it and face it, you know. And then you don't have to ever do away. You don't have to be confident to do it. Mm. Maybe mm. there is a confidence in that moment, I guess I'm thinking of, in, in, in a sense of it's a right to be in state of fear and be vulnerable maybe that's what i'm thinking when i say confidence it's not arrogance yeah, yeah, in any way it's yeah, um, yeah. a practice of self-acceptance self or something exactly exactly <laughs> yes that's yeah. exactly what i am having yeah. in mind and you said just uh, i'm backtracking you said something how i dreamt up this image you use that word dreamt up do you dream your work do ideas come to you in dreams yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure it hits everyone, and it could be, you know, while you're washing dishes or something. Mm. <laughs> but literally, yeah, in dreams, I am... not just dreaming as a metaphor when we are yeah. uh, daydreaming. But yeah, there are, I know there are artists who actually speak about holding dream diaries, and they do get their inspiration from those images that appear in, in dream states. Mm. Is, mm, is that something mm. that you yes. do? Yes, I mean, I I couldn't um, force it, mm. um, but certainly, you know, if I, I I jump up, it could be any time of the night or day, and it it holds me. But it's the same with text as well, you know. And suddenly you're seized by it, and you think, oh my goodness, I have to 
So it's all those kind of moments that you're trying to catch and also those kind of half awake and half kind of rest stages that you go through. Like those, the spaces in your everyday living where sometimes you're really tired, but of course you have to keep doing your responsibilities, but there's a tiredness. And I, I think embracing that tiredness can allow you to slip in those states. Mm -hmm. mm. It really comes at moments that are really very unexpected. Yes. Yeah. But um, the sleep and dream state, actual, um, as my kids would call it, for real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, those dream stages are really, really important because I guess that there are points of integration in your life. You know, you're awake, you're absorbing all this stimulus and thinking. And I guess the dream stage is really important, isn't it, when we sleep and dream? Yes. Because it's like, yeah, it's, it's really when some of the deepest problems and issues that we have can Unrebel. can sometimes be resolved yeah mm. resolved. it yeah. feels very healthy i personally feel it's a i'm in good space where i dream even though dreams might be terrifying and horrible but i feel that i'm unraveling and releasing some deep stuff mm. and, um, and i like how there's an association you know i don't know whether you've heard of this um, phrase where sleep is the surname of death and as you know, because of my interest in this human contemplation about the finiteness of life, I think there's something quite curious about that phrase. It's certainly some liminal space, the sleep in between the two, between the two realms, as your kids say, the real one and the <laughs> other real <Probably>. one. <laughs> yeah, which one is more real? That's yeah, that becomes confusing, right? Um, yeah. You also just there mentioned text uh, very briefly. Maybe you don't even remember that you said that, but you said that also text could come in dreams. And that brings me to a question about the music component of the film that we're talking about, which is called The Invisibles. And you can see it as part of Dance um, Lens Festival, which is organized through Dance House in Melbourne. And I'm talking to the artist Wei Zen Ho, and you're on ISA Radio 89.7 FM. So talking about The Invisibles, your film, uh, we spoke a lot about the movie component of it but as important as the movement side is the sound in the film and it is a composition that you made in collaboration with Gail Priest who is another artist based in Blue Mountains I believe in Katoomba as well and you wrote lyrics for this piece and you also perform it when did text and music come together in the process of making the film and how did they emerge yeah I think the sounds and the text the vocals came after looking at the images. I think a huge part was that Carlos Gomez as a director was very insistent and clear from the very beginning that he wanted me to use my voice. And even though I'm a vocalist, I still have such difficult relationships with my voice. And I think at that moment, it um, brought up quite a lot of anxiety for me <laughs> to consider that. So I... The first sound that I created was actually from my broken piano, which I had been playing with, you know, using threads and horsehair and um, objects. And it's kind of um, been opened up. And I made the first sound piece around that. But um, I think the team was finding it perhaps a little bit too broken. <laughs> the sounds were falling and, and disrupting. There was too much disruption. 
and um, and like you said, Ira, like um, perhaps it was a as a good thing that they brought that up because we had to find something that hung it together a little bit more. And Gail then responded by using these kind of digital kind of bell slash gong like um, sounds throughout the piece, and I, I went away with that and and looked at. Um, I had a 722 RP where I, where I was quite disturbed by the fact that I couldn't actually think of anything. And I guess that's when within that 72 hours, the text came because I, I, I did know that I wanted whisperings. I wanted this thing of wanting to have whisperings where every now and then a clear comprehension of a line or, or a word kind of appears. So I talked to Gail about it. And she she loved that idea, and we were also trying to gather in what Gail talked about as the sound of the environment was created. Unfortunately, because we were so busy with the VR equipment and and placing it in a safe space, and it didn't kind of crash. Uh, we didn't actually do the sound recording, so it was about having to go back to the environment and do a separate kind of field recording. And I think um, between us, we combined kind of few recordings of what we had in in the bush, which um, just in my backyard, I could pick up a whole field of different amazing sound birds. And I guess that's when it started building and I finally had a sense of a fragile kind of voice-like melody. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe for me that was the most difficult bit, actually, the building of the sound. Certainly, um, because of Gail's experience, like that whole thing of attaching sound to image uh, is is really her her experience and using binaural kind of recording. And I remember this session where we had um, start doing it in her her little living room workroom in her in her home. And um, I would, for example, have this hair piece that I used in the performance, and I would flick it all around she would put this binaural headphones over a mannequin's head and uh, i would rotate you know the physical position of it or move my body so that the orientation of the sounds they come from different directions Mm. so So it was actually quite complex (laughs) we did go through quite a number of you know scenes and she was very patient I mean, I, I do feel like maybe co-composer, I mean, it was something that uh, Gail generously gave to me, but, you know, I kind of produced a lot of the sound layers, you know, through the, the broken piano and its strings, and it was the text that I created, and I did the vocalization, but really, you know, she kind of put it together, and I just had maybe two to three sessions where I sat down with her and kind of um, refined it in a way that I wanted it, so I kind of you know, helped drive it from the back, back seat. Mm. Yeah. You spoke how at the beginning uh, for you, this figure that appears uh, on the screen in the film, in the story, uh, in our dreams is uh, you didn't hear her. She was silent. She appeared to you silent. Completely silent. (laughs) And then you now also said how you have a difficult relationship with your voice. Hmm. What do you, where is that coming from for vocalists who actually we will soon hear uh, this piece, which is stunning, and it surprised me that you said I have a difficult relationship with my voice. 
I don't know. I, I wonder if it's as simple as, you know, even if you have an answering machine and you play back and you hear your voice and you have this thing where you, you know, maybe it's a, it's a shadow aspect relationship that I will always have throughout my life. Mm. <laughs> wow. It's my short answer. <laughs> That's interesting to think about it as a shadow relationship with the voice. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's uncanny in a way to hear our own selves. We are meant yeah. to be listening to everything else apart from our own voices. So yeah. there is something shocking in that. Yeah, or something that it kind of reflects this very uneasy relationship that I, maybe I have with myself that is a, is a lifetime's work, you know. Mm. And thank you very much for joining us this morning on Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. Thank you so much, Ira, for inviting me. I really appreciate the opportunity to um, talk to you about it. A great reflection for myself. Today was beautiful performer based in Blue Mountains in Katoomba, Ways and Ho. And we spoke about her short dance film, The Invisibles, which I highly recommend you go and see online as part of Dance Lens Festival organized by Dance House Melbourne. To do that, you can go to dancehouse.com.au. And also, if you would like to find out more about Wei Zen herself, go to weizenho.com. That is W E I Z E N ho.com. Bayzenho is her name, and the film is called The Invisibles.